0: As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. As the company crossed the bridge, with the first rain filling the bone dry riverbed, it shone just so upon the edge. Away, away, we're sad to say. Dog boy, Atlas, Mandrake, the geeks, the hired hands. There was not one among them that did not cast an eye behind. Hope that the Khan would return to his own. The dwarves that were given the task of digging the ditch and laying the nags carcass in the ground while Bus Bellini waved his smoking pistol round saying The mad was dead meat, we can't afford to carry dead weight while the whole company standing about not making a sound and turning to the dwarves perched on the enclosure gate the bus says, there is this lump of crow bait." All their way. The three dwarves appearing from the wagons hind. Moses says to Noah, Should it duck a deeper one? Their grizzled faces like dying bruises. Still dirty, a digger. Done. I guess the Connie gonna show And they were silent for a smell Wishing they'd done a better job of burying sorrow <laughs> from the valley into higher ground and the rain beat on the ridge and on the meadow and on the mound until nothing was left, nothing left at all except the body of sorrow that rose in time to float upon the surface of the eaten soil circle round first one then the others flapping blackly down and the carney's van still sat upon the edge tilting slowly as the firm ground turned to sludge And the rain is hammered it down And the rain is hammered down
1: How things go Welcome to CFRU 93.3 FM You are listening to Androids Dungeon Based at the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario campus Typically But this is Pandemic Edition, and you're listening to Home Recording Edition of Androids Dungeon, which will continue for the, you know, the future. We'll see what happens. Maybe CFRU will uh, uh, loosen the floodgates and let me back in the studio so I can broadcast my insanity from a proper recording studio. But until then, you have to put up with this setup. What you just heard was, I think, arguably the gothiest Nick Cave track. A toss up between that and uh, Stranger, Stranger Than Kindness, or if you want to go to the birthday party, uh, release the bats, which, as far as I'm concerned, is just like a, a punk goth song. But anyway, The Carney, off of uh, geez, what year? 1980, uh, I don't know, 85, somewhere around there. Uh, Your Funeral, My Trial, my favorite Nick Cave album, without a doubt. Uh, but it is a toss up, my favorite artist of all time. Uh, a song about a dead horse. And it was made into a little short animated film, a truly depressing track, but it's got one of the 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 Calliope sort of like uh, it just pulls you into that universe of spookiness. And what better way to uh, celebrate the spookiest time of the year than late October than listening to CFRU and some weird music picked by a bunch of people who are uh, (coughs) extremely exceptional. And uh, very good at picking uh, stuff that means a lot to them and probably nothing to anyone else. Anyway, Android's Dungeon, a show about music, movies, and most importantly, games. Typically board games or um, video games. But games. Sometimes mind games as well. And uh, the big deal here is that it's just me, my co-host Joel, not here for today's show. And I think I'll try to get him back for the ne- back, back for the next one or uh, maybe uh, the lovely Kayla Campbell for the follow-up one. But uh, I like to start off every episode by asking, what have you been playing recently? And in this case, uh, I got to play 1860 for a second time. And for those who did not tune in to the uh, previous show or hear it, because I think there may have been a scheduling mix-up too. Uh, 1860 is another game in the 18xx genre. And this one is set in the Isle of Wight. And you were doing the same thing. Buying stocks, running trains... The person with the most money wins. Um, the second game is a lot more interesting. And uh, I'm not going to go too far into the details of the mechanics because I'll leave that for people to research on their own. But the bottom line is that uh, the game has this interesting pace with the train rush. And in this case, uh, we were playing at three players, which is the best count for it. And at one point, uh, one of our players, John, had three companies... And he had been withholding profits, and they were loaded with cash, and he was waiting to buy some uh, of the trains that were on the market to trigger new phases. But he didn't want to buy the the weaker versions of them. And I think I eventually just got fed up with my cruddy runs that I had with my current train, singular, that I ended up withholding enough to able to afford uh, one of these uh, trains right there. Uh, which triggered the next phase, and then John bought a bunch more, and then the game was just off to the races, and uh, the money started flowing. And initially, my, after playing the game twice, I was worried that... Uh, I, my surface uh, in impression was that it's a game about running companies well, as opposed to shenanigans, and uh, just basically treating them like piggy banks. But the more I've done research into this game, the more I've kind of talked to people, the more I've realized that the game really isn't about running companies well. It's it's more about running them just poorly enough, uh, or just well enough that when things go badly, you can just divest and use all that money to start up another company and rinse and repeat. Because the way the game works is that you can dump any number of shares into the market or into the bank pool and when a company has no shares, which are when it when there's no director of the company, like in let's say 1830 or something, it goes into uh, basically autopilot, where the AI or the bank runs it. And if it has no money or no trains, it has to lease trains from the bank, and it keeps doing this until and withholding at 50% profits until it can afford a train. And the whole time the stock is sinking because it's withholding. But typically what happens is it generates enough revenue to buy a new train. And then what you're supposed to do, I believe, is hop back into this company that you've divested from at the right time to suddenly give it, suddenly it's flush with cash and a nice new train, hopefully a permanent, and now you've got yourself a company that can do stuff. Now, the main problem with this is that you're relying on this company actually having the roots available to it. And I think that's where the real tricky part of this game is going to come in is that if you are running a company is to token in such a way that you aren't blocked out and you have access to routes later on in the game after you've basically let this company get run into the ground essentially it goes in receivership maybe buys a new train maybe goes bankrupt goes back to the market can part at a new price of 100 and then be able to afford the best trains in the game so i think there's a lot of strategy in this game that's really Just slowly revealing itself as we go as we play more and more of it. And I really hope we get some more plays of it because so far it it strikes me as a very fascinating game. And I don't, I'm hesitating to say I prefer it more than 1830 because 1830 is its own beast. It's just, it's almost the opposite of 1830 in the sense that 1830, the beginning is really interesting. And then it kind of by the mid game and late game it stops getting so interesting and it's kind of mean in the sense that somebody can get trained uh, s- dumped a company on pretty badly and it can just go south very quickly for them. This one you can't get anything dumped on you that you don't want. So it, your fate is in your hands and the priority seems to be. Just as, or if not more important than in previous uh, iterations or 1830. Again, I haven't played 1860 as much, and I haven't even played 1830 as much either. But right now, it's sitting uh, fairly high on my list of games. I just think is are, that are great, and I think with a bit of skill and time, you could even get it down to like a four-hour experience compared to like the six I think we did last time. So uh, overall, 1860 rocketing up my Uh, list of games I I think are tremendous right now and I would just kill for a reprint I'd love to play this in person Uh, the digital version is nice don't get me wrong there's a great scripted one but for a game that's best at two three players what more do you ask than uh, a nice little 18xx that's designed around that Um, I've got 18 mechs on the way set in Mexico that I'm really excited to try somebody has said it's their Uh, second favorite after 49, which is also on the way in sometime around December. So I'll be excited to get those out and get you some reviews or trip reports on that stuff. So 1860, Isle of Wight. Give it a shot. It's on Tabletop Simulator. Let's take a musical break. Back in a second. Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just heard was Vagrant from Kuro Tagagi. Tagaki? Kuro ta, Tag... Kuro Tag... Hmm. Maybe I've written that down wrong. Anyway, I believe it's... It's not even Japanese. I think it's French. Uh, at least that's where the album, I think, is from. Uh, from the album Call of the Deep from 2002. Some spooky Japanese tribal dungeon synth. Tribal synth. Dark ambient. Whatever. Uh, it really puts you in the mood or puts you into the place of exploring a, a, a decrepit uh, Japanese castle Sengoku era and finding things are amiss or not as they should seem or not as they seem uh, great little album, impossible to find uh, I think somebody's selling copy from Europe that I, I've had my finger on the buy button for but it just kills me paying uh, $15 with um, uh, in in after you exchange currency, exchange it to a Canadian to have it shipped when I know people can ship CDs for far less than that. Um, so the other game I got to play recently as well is a game called Smartphone Inc. And it's a Kickstarter game that came out, I think, or it was Kickstarter two years ago or a year ago. And uh, I was intrigued by it because I heard some good things about it. And uh, I was really intrigued that my friend picked up a copy because it doesn't strike me as a game that he would he would uh, really be over. It um, doesn't really tick off too many boxes of that type. So I was pleasantly surprised when uh, he announced he had it. And I got to play it. And we did a four-player game of it. And it is not at all what I was expecting. Uh, I was expecting a very dense Economic, uh, style game. I don't want to say like food chain magnate style, uh, which isn't even that dense. It's just like, it, it's a heavy strategy game in the sense of the strategy. The strategic elements are huge. Um, but it was a lot simpler than I was expecting. And the bottom line is you take over or the premise is you, you are in the role of running a, a cell phone or a smartphone, uh, manufacturer and, uh, based out of one of the, uh, uh, one of the regions in the world, so you have Australia, North America, South America, uh, Asia, so on. And uh, each of these companies has uh, a slight difference to them, based uh, ignoring just even their uh, starting location, but also the uh, special tile that's available to them. And it's an it's basically an action selection game insofar as that you aren't putting workers on the board, but you've got these two um, square three by three grids in front of you. And they have different, thing, different symbols on them corresponding to different actions on the board. And what you do is that you can flip these either side. And uh, the only rule is that you can't uh, cover or you can't do an angle cover. Um, and you basically are putting one on top of the other. And everything that's available or that can be seen face up are the actions that you do. So it's not that you do one action multiple times, but it makes that action uh, stronger for each symbol that's available and the types of actions are making cell phones which basically gives you the uh, supply chain researching new technology branching into different markets um, improving the tiles on your board and so on so pretty basic stuff Um, so every round kind of starts with you secretly behind a screen kind of arranging these little tablets of yours to try to uh, figure out which actions are the best. And the way the boards are laid out is kind of smart because the the strongest actions are typically uh, in, a, in a spot that would force you to cover up a lot of other stuff or exclude you from other actions based on which side they're, uh, they're available on. And uh, anything that's covered up is instantly considered to be production, so you're not totally screwed out of that aspect uh, when you're doing it. But anyway, you go through this, and the game only has like five rounds or so. So you really have to maximize your action economy and figure out what you want to do. And um, my surface impression of the game seems to be the research is very, very strong because there's this economic element in the sense that when you have to be in a region, uh, or establish in a region to uh, be able to sell in it, which makes sense. Um, But once you're there, there's the price element. So you can sell cheaper cell phones which is fine because there are certain caps, certain thresholds. And as long as you're below those thresholds, you'll sell the phones for whatever price you've set it at. But if you're above that threshold, you can't even get to that level. Um, But the way around this is that certain people or certain regions want certain features on their phones. So let's say they want to be able to have uh, 4G, which is kind of cute and outdated at this point. Um, or they want to be able to play games, or they want to have Wi-Fi. So they're just kind of abstracting these concepts you kind of take for granted. But um, if you've developed these things via research, you can have whatever price you want for these cell phones. You'll always be able to sell... Uh, well, not always, but if you're the only person there that has this, for example, you'll always be able to sell the uh, one of your phones to that region for your whatever price you've set it at. So you can almost do an end run um, around the price by having the best price available or the most expensive phone possible and uh, by just selecting these features and ignoring the price because I guess the, the thematically they're saying, oh, people pay whatever they want or whatever you want to just to be able to play games on their cell phone or have 4G or Wi-Fi or geolocation, so on, near field communication. And what's kind of cool about this research stuff is it all comes with bonuses. So whenever you successfully research, not only does it allow you to sell these specific um, technologies to people at uh, great prices, it also gives you bonuses to other things too. And some of them are seemed almost like no-brainers. And what we were doing, uh, you, you're supposed to randomize them, uh, the bonuses, so it's not always going to be, let's say, uh, if you develop Wi-Fi, it's not always going to give you this one thing. It can be random. But um, one of which was it makes research one cheaper. And the way the game kind of works like this is that you are sort of investing in projects over time. So whenever you, let's say, want to research something, let's say I have two research symbols, it means I'm allowed to put two of my tokens down uh, anywhere I want on the research track for these different things. But it takes, there's a number above it that will indicate how many tokens I need to have in that area before I have considered to have successfully researched it. So typically you want to put all your eggs in a single basket. But one of the technologies... um, makes that number one less which is pretty significant because soon you can start researching like one two three things at a time if you're a crazy person um so that seemed very powerful to me um the other thing i was worried about was that we were playing a four-player game and it felt like there wasn't a huge incentive to spread out to other markets because if you've gone heavy research um you don't need to spread out you can just max your pr- like uh, raise your price like crazy in the one region you're good at, or maybe just expand to one other region. And as long as you've picked your research uh, properly and you're maybe not getting um, invaded by a rival who has similar made similar decisions, you can just sell these crazy features without having to worry about the price war and possibly cutting other people out too, because Uh, There's a turn order system where you can if you anticipate what the other person is going for you might be the first person to sell those Wi-Fi phones Which resets every time so I'm trying to do trying to do a very surface explanation of this game What I'm getting at is it's extremely simple, and I actually found it to be quite a a Pleasant experience, and we all picked up on it within a round or two uh, Because it just was clean and easy to understand and the stakes seemed pretty obvious as well so my main takeaway after one play is that I really liked it. Um, I, it's an incredibly well-produced game. The main player or the main game board is actually a double-thick board that has rivets—not rivets, but uh, indents cut out in it where you can put these tiles in and put your cubes uh, kind of nestled in little spots. That's way overproduced, but really nice to feel and play with. So, uh, bottom line is. If you're interested in a light economic game, because I'd put this firmly on the lighter side of the medium weight euro, uh, I think Power Grid is mathier and more strategic, uh, but it might just be the math that's making it seem heavier in my mind. But it's very similar to Power Grid. It's similar to Concordia. And it's similar to a game called Wendike, which is, uh, I don't really think it's that great of a game. I've only ever played it two players. But the method of action selection is very similar to Wendiki's use of the uh uh, these boards that you're covering up different uh shapes of or different symbols of and doing whatever the is either available or hidden on it it's way more liberal than the uh, wendikey board system but very similar at the end of the day so smartphone ink uh base game so far seems pretty good uh i'm not rushing out to buy it but i'm glad i got to play it and uh there's an expansion for it that is makes it much better for two players because apparently if you play this the base game at two it's just you're gonna have to really i think maybe pick two specific companies that will uh that are close to each other otherwise you're never going to interact with the other person and you're just basically playing uh optimization solitaire so give it a shot let me know what you think we'll be back in a second stay tuned Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM. You heard two tracks. Because when Jack's by himself, it's tougher to fill up an hour of me just talking. And frankly, I think you appreciate it more when I'm playing some more music. Uh, first track. Blood Starved Beast from the Bloodborne soundtrack uh, by Tsukasa Saito. Now, that's a Japanese name for sure. Uh, Bloodborne. Maybe the best PS4 game. There's a reason why they joke about the uh, the PS4 being known as a Bloodborne box because it's... I don't think it's a launch title. I could be wrong. Uh, but there's it's frankly the only game I think I could say is that you would want to really... like It's the only reason to own a PS4 at this point, in my opinion, especially since a lot of that stuff has been ported and every every now and then you hear rumors of a a bloodborne pc version which i think would sell like hotcakes and really do a lot for the community but as it stands bloodborne is only available on the ps4 um and it is some people say it's the best souls game i love it i i don't think it's my favorite i think uh demon souls is the best uh followed by dark souls one maybe Bloodborne after that but uh or bloodborne dark souls one and then um probably dark souls 3 dark souls 2 um but the demon souls remake more and more stuff comes out of that every year or every uh, couple weeks and it's shaping up to look very good and as far as like a ps5 exclusive launch title uh, we'll see how long that lasts by the way hopefully they i I swear i do bad things for pc version of that Ugh, because i'm not buying a ps5 just for one game as much as uh uh, well, I didn't even do it. I, I more or less did it for the PS4, but I got it used, so I don't feel as bad. But um, anyway, uh, Demon Souls remake coming out very shortly with the launch of the uh, PS5. Uh, I'm not ashamed to admit that I have sent a message to my friend who is buying one and picking up the game uh, to pull a, uh, an early 2000s move and ask if I can come over and watch him play <laughs> the game when it comes out. Because it's a tremendous game. And kind of fits into the season too. Because Demon's Souls is legit spooky. Uh, I think it's uh, got this tremendous ambiance. And there are moments of explicit horror in the game. That I still think about years and years after I played the original. Um, And the Tower of Latria is so famously spooky that I think it's, it's going to become a meme again when that game is released because uh, there's going to be a lot of people who have never played it before and are walking into this fantastically creepy world. And I'm just looking forward to seeing what happens because the game is... And hopefully Bluepoint doesn't screw it up. Uh, I am a little concerned about a, cur- a couple things here and there, but overall it looks like it's going to be a fantastic remake. Um, and if we get the seventh Archstone I think it's the seventh Archstone that was cut from the original, uh, that'll be just wild. But I'm worried it's going to be DLC at this rate. So we'll see what happens. Um, but Bloodborne, like I was saying, uh, Lovecraftian, souls-born horror that starts off pretty crazy and manages to get crazier as the game goes on and just has fantastic soundtrack, incredible visuals. The gameplay is fast and brutal and mean. Uh, Arguably the best DLC out of the entire series. Some people say the DS1 DLC is the best. Uh, If anyone tells you Dark Souls 2 DLC is the best, you have permission to either hit them or cut them out of your life because uh, they're dangerous and subversive and probably trying to get you arrested with a take that bad. Uh, Play Bloodborne if you have not. It's very difficult if you don't know what you're doing or it's your first foray into the series, but uh, it's a lot more forgiving than a lot of them, too. Uh, That's all I'm going to say. And the track after that, uh, maybe the cheesiest, no, I don't think it's the cheesiest, but uh, I think it's just a great song, and it is a perfect uh, Halloween party track, Dead Man's Party, by Oingo Boingo, Danny Elfman and his lovely voice, singing along, uh, ties in nicely to Halloween, both in the... Explicit with the name of the song and also the theme and also the fact that Danny Elfman, more famous now, I think, for his composing uh, and soundtrack work, mostly with uh, the likes of Tim Burton, uh, but he also is responsible for the Nightmare Before Christmas soundtrack, which is... It, you know it's the best it's the best musical soundtrack you're going to get from those movies or from uh one of those and Danny Elfman does the, has the singing voice of Jack Skellington and it, it's he's he's such a talented artist <laughs> that's all I'm going to say uh but the Nightmare Before Christmas it's it's a it's a bit of a cliche and uh poor Henry Selleck was completely shafted on that movie uh I don't know if it was Tim Burton or Disney, or whoever is responsible for this, but uh, if I, unfortunately, if you grab the odd, uh, 9 out of 10 people, or I'd say probably like 49 out of 50 people on the street, and said, who directed *Night Before Christmas? It's like, oh yeah, Tim Burton. Just an absolute tragedy, but uh, I think he's come back and kind of redeemed himself a bit, and we have uh, Coraline, which is a tremendously spooky movie as well, that uh, uh, doesn't get as much credit, but uh, I'm seeing a bit more appreciation of. So, anyway, Blood Starved Beast and Dead Man's Party. So uh, last thing I want to talk about on the show before uh, we play one final song and we kind of get out of here and uh, I wish you a happy Halloween is the big news this week in gaming was the totally not foreseen or anticipated, what is this, the 20th, (laughs) 100th delay of Cyberpunk 2077 by CD Projekt Red until early December. So we went from a November 20th release date to early December. And uh, I didn't think it was going to get delayed again, to be honest. I, I, I In the back of my head, I thought it would be hilarious if it did. But in this case, I was like, no, they're not going to do it again. That would take some serious cojones. Lo and behold, a couple days ago, they announced it. Uh, from the looks of things, their message it seemed to indicate, between the lines, that... It's current-gen systems they're having trouble getting it working on, which means they're trying to get it to work on the PS4 and the Xbox One, and uh, they're struggling. Or at least maybe there are some issues that are coming up. Who knows? Uh, and I think that the general consensus I read was that they should have just had it as PS5, PC, and uh, whatever the new Xbox is called. Xbox Elite, or just Xbox. Um rather than trying to fit things on previous console generations. And that's a problem with games come out late in a console life cycle. And I think one of the most painful examples of that is Metal Gear Solid Five. That um, rumor has it was horribly cut and uh, drastically reduced so that PS3, or PS4, excuse me, and, um, and Xbox owners could... Uh, our PS Was it the PS3 version that I'm getting mixed up? I think it was the PS3 version. Yeah, so PS, PS3 ps and 360 uh, players could uh, play Metal Gear Solid V. I might mix this up. But bottom line is that it was cut to make it work on older consoles. Uh, and it shows. And we're never getting stuff like that back. And it, it's luckily, the best thing I can hope for is that CU Project Red, at least, is offering free upgrades for owners of this version to... Uh, If they get a PS5 or the new Xbox to just upgrade right to it and hopefully get past all that stuff. Meanwhile, PC owners like myself are sitting there just staring in the distance, yet again being shackled by the console peasants who are keeping us from achieving true greatness. But hopefully, within a little bit of time, we'll be there and everyone will be talking about the game and how much they hate it because there's no chance it's going to live up to the hype. And I just hope it's not a bad game. But you got to take a page out of uh, Nintendo Man uh, Miyamoto's famous line about uh, uh, a bad game is a bad game forever. A delayed game could be a good game forever or something along those lines. So stay tuned. Early December, you will be hearing about Cyberpunk whether you like it or not. Musical break and then we'll be at the end of the show. Welcome back to CFRU 933FM. What you just heard was Life from Nine Inch Nails Quake soundtrack. I keep playing it because it's the best. Just been re released. Although Universal Music is uh, copy striking a lot of old content because they're being pricks about this thing. So if you got any old Nine Inch or uh, Quake playthroughs that have music in it, enjoy it while it lasts because they're going to strike you down. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. Have a great Halloween. Stay safe out there. Bye bye.